0: You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family.
1: It's a time of year for traditions, and this episode of Barn Stories will help you start a new one.
0: Welcome to the Barn Stories podcast. I'm Lori Prinz, editor of Equus
1: Magazine. And I'm managing editor, Christine Barakat.
0: This podcast features our favorite essays and articles published in Equus over the past 40 years. Although Equus is known for articles on horse care and veterinary research, our editorial mission has always been guided by the bond that exists between horses and people. And each issue has featured a real life story that celebrates how horses enrich our lives and touch our
1: hearts. We've searched our archives, chosen the stories that resonated with our readers, and given them new life in this audio format. Longtime subscribers may recognize some of their favorite pieces. And if you're new to the Equus community, These stories will confirm that no matter what sort of saddle you sit in, a deep emotional connection to horses is something we all share. The only thing better than long-standing holiday traditions is starting new ones. I'm all for honoring the past. I've had the same angel on top of my Christmas tree for nearly 30 years. But when I find something new I like during the holiday season, I will not hesitate to immediately declare it a tradition. That's how fancy oatmeal became my family's traditional Christmas morning breakfast a few years back. We're never going back to waffles.
0: Well, the essay in this episode is a relatively new Equus tradition. It appeared in our print pages many years ago, but debuted on Barnes Stories in 2019, and we've replayed it every year ever since. It's one of our most popular stories, and with good reason. It features a claiming horse with heart, a plucky jockey, and a sweet little boy who wants to go home for Christmas. If you don't already have a holiday podcast tradition, this is one you'll want to adopt.
1: Let's listen to Home for Christmas, written by Jan Giacione Cross and read by Taylor Autumn.
2: It was some kind of cosmic thing that took me there. I certainly did not go for the money or the atmosphere. Pocono Downs in late November was, in fact, quite depressing. The temperatures averaged about 25 degrees by post time for the first race each evening. Plus, there was a nice, comfortable job waiting for me in Florida for the winter months. A leading New York trainer had offered me a position as an assistant trainer and exercise rider. It was a job I had prayed for. I finally had fallen on my head enough times to realize that my waning career as a jockey was becoming more dangerous than lucrative. I would have gone straight to Florida and strolled the sunny, blessed beaches for a few weeks While I waited for the New York outfit if I hadn't gotten sidetracked by two of my best friends. Russ and Jackie were a hard-working young couple and I had won a few races on their cheaper horses at a Philadelphia track. They were headed to Florida too, but first they were going to ship part of their stable to Pocono Downs in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania to win some races and lose some of their cheap claimers. Horses who compete in races in which all entries are for sale at a specified price. Somehow, they convinced me that I should accompany them. We were staying only a few weeks, they told me, and we would win lots of races. I packed half-heartedly. We arrived one afternoon, one week before Thanksgiving. The roads were becoming slick from the falling sleet. Our little caravan slid through the stable gate and down a hill that bottomed out at our assigned barn. My little car had no snow tires. If it had, I probably would have made a quick U-turn and headed south, but there was no way my car was going to make it back up that hill. We unloaded the horses from the van and headed for the little apartment that we would share for the next three weeks, sipping hot chocolate laced with whiskey and dreaming of the big bets we would cash. I made a pact with myself not to ride for any trainer at the Pocono Downs but Russ. There was that job waiting for me in Florida, and I did not want to risk getting on horses I did not know or trainers I did not know. But packs are made to be broken. Stabled next to Russ and Jackie's string at Barn T was an odd sort of outfit. The Boyd Racing Stable had traveled to Pocono Downs from a little track out west. A few days after our arrival, their old battered Ford pickup had chugged in. Coating a rusty two-horse trailer. The entire stable consisted of two aged geldings. The two old war horses received plenty of attention, for their trainer, Sally, was accompanied by her husband, elderly father, and young son. The little boy, Scott, was a toe-headed, courteous, and attentive 11-year-old. I asked how it was that he got to skip school and live at the racetracks with his folks. Scott told me that just as soon as the family could get some money together, they would be heading home for Christmas. Then he would return to school. Home, Scott told me, was in Arkansas. Even under the best circumstances, travel is stressful for horses. We've all been there, stuck on the side of the road, in the middle of nowhere. You can make the journey knowing that U.S. Rider is there for you. Get peace of mind on the road with U.S. Riders' nationwide 24-7 roadside assistance coverage for both you and your horse. Join today at usrider.org. Sensing that the Boyd Stable could not afford an exercise rider, I volunteered to gallop their two-horse stable for them. Sally readily accepted my offer. One horse barked galloped an easy mile every morning. But the other horse, a black gelding named Coley, was a wee bit off in the left ankle and usually was ponied alongside Russ's stable pony for his daily exercise. Within hours of arriving at the track, little Scott asked Russ and Jackie if he could work for them for wages. I am sure that Russ had no clue as to what duty Scott could perform, but he did not hesitate in putting the little boy on his payroll. From then on, Scott hustled about the barn all morning, cheerfully holding horses for baths, bedding stalls, raking the shed row, and helping me clean tack. Russ paid his little right-hand man his wages daily. Scott would thank him politely and hurry off to join his folks down the shed row. The entire clan would then stroll over to the track kitchen for breakfast. I don't think they ever left the racetrack grounds. Three weeks went by and my calendar was lined with X's that ended with the date of my departure for Florida. By December 15th, Russ had run and lost the last horse he wanted to part with. He was making shipping arrangements, and I was planning to get my gear out of the jocks room and settle up with my valet, Paul. Our neighbors down Shed Row had not yet raced Coley or Bart. On the 16th, I went to the jocks room after morning workouts to retrieve my belongings. But when I requested my tack, Paul gave me a look of consternation. You can't leave, he said. You have a mount tonight in the ninth race. He pulled a folded list of the day's entries from his back pocket and passed it to me. He was right. I was named on Cole Bay in the ninth. I asked Paul if he had seen the form on Coley. "Uh Uh-huh. If this horse wins tonight... There really are snowmen in hell, he replied. Gonna take off? I nearly let the word yes slip through my badly chapped lips when I caught sight of something out of the corner of my eye. It was little Scott. The racetrack cherub had come dashing out of the racing secretary's office with the entry list in his hand. He was jumping up and down like a young antelope as he raced back to the barn area. No, I said. I guess I am writing tonight. That evening, before dinner, I borrowed Russ's daily racing form to study Colby's past performances. He had not seen a winner's circle since he was seven, and he would be nine years old in a few short weeks. The chart writer had summed up Coley's last three efforts as dull, out and tired early. These performances have been in cheap claiming races. Tonight, Coley was entered in an allowance race, a higher level of competition. At 6.30, I went to the jocks room to await my last ride at Pocono Downs. God, it was cold out. As I donned my riding garb, I thought to myself that riding a 60-to-1 shot on a night of freezing temperatures was not a terrific way to end one's racing career. Such was fate. When the call went round the jock's room for the ninth race weigh-in, my valet informed me that it was 10 degrees outside. I put on an extra heavy turtleneck shirt after weigh-in and stuck my gloves and boots into the sauna for last-minute toasting before venturing out. In the paddock, my teeth chattered as Sally told me that Coley was a cold-weather horse. The old gelding did look good. His coat was thick and shiny. His large, hazel eyes were bright with anticipation. I glanced over at our competition. One horse stood out. The betting favorite, Fast Exit, had just shipped in from New Jersey, but I knew him well. I had ridden Fast Exit when he won his first race a couple of years before at a Jersey short track. With that race, I lost my bug the weight allowance given to apprentice riders until they chalk up a certain number of victories, and the trainer I was riding for promptly fired me, another memorable day in my career. The same trainer still saddled Fast Exit, and I waved stiffly at him as he met my stare. Suddenly, Coley and I had a mission. We had to beat Fast Exit, for old time's sake. When the gates opened, Coley shot out like a bolt of black lightning. We easily took the lead, with Fast Exit alongside. My old Coley was running like a fine tuned sports car. In fact, Fast Exit seemed to be having trouble keeping up. I signaled to Coley, and we easily left the favorite in the dust. From the quarter pole to the wire, we galloped along, just me and Cole Bay. At the eighth pole, I started grinning and posing. To the wire, we coasted four links ahead of the favorite. Coley pulled up kindly and galloped back to the winner's circle like a gentleman. He was my hero, and I patted his glistening neck tenderly as we posed for a picture. Sally, her husband, her father, and little Scott were surprisingly calm during our brief victory ceremony. We knew he could do it, Scott declared. I thank them all for the most memorable ride. The next morning, I went to the stables at 8. I was packed and ready to head to Florida. But before I hit the highway, I needed to see my new friends one last time. I headed over to the two stalls where Cole Bay and his stablemate had been bedded. But the stalls were empty. I was quite upset to find the Boyd stable gone without notice. Russ walked down the shed row and stood by my side as I stared misty-eyed at Colbay's empty stall. They were already gone when I got here this morning. They must have loaded up in the middle of the night, he said. I think something was left for you on their tack room door. I walked slowly to the end of the shed and pulled the piece of white construction paper from the door. On it was a crayon drawing depicting a huge black horse in a winter circle. His jockey had been given a large red nose like that of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And a family of four was grouped at the horse's head. I smiled as I read the neatly hand-printed caption at the bottom of the picture, Cole Bay, winner. We are going home for Christmas. And in smaller letters, Thanks, Jan. We love you. It was signed by Scott. Only then did I realize why I had come to Pocono
1: Downs. Thanks for listening to Barn Stories. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have a favorite article or essay from the Equus Archives that you'd like us to feature in a future podcast, let us know. You can reach us at equusbarnstories, all one word, at gmail.com. Did you enjoy this episode of Barn Stories? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Thanks for listening. The Barn Stories Podcast is production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network.